0: I've had uh, Psalm 139 tonight, if you will, in your your, uh, King James Hymnals, in your King James Bibles, if you will, Psalm 139, Psalm 139, and uh, we're going to do at least two more tonight and next Wednesday night on our series of How Do I Measure Up, and uh, then we'll see if there's any further ones that we'll have after this, but uh, tonight we're dealing with Uh, The subject of our minds, our minds, and we're going to combine it with our hearts uh, because they're so closely intertwined in Scripture. Um, When we speak of the mind, sometimes we're speaking of just the intellectual part, the knowledge part, but certainly the heart, our understanding, the seat of the emotions, where our wisdom comes from. Uh, This is also a part of this idea of the mind oftentimes in scriptures, and so we're going to be looking at both of those tonight <clears throat> with regards to how do I measure up are there some things the Bible gives us that are benchmarks that we should strive for when it comes to these issues Psalm 139 if you will and we'll begin in verse 23 we'll read a couple of verses here the psalmist said this search me O God and know my heart Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. The importance of the mind in the heart is shown in the fact that the psalmist asks not for man's judgment on his heart or his mind, but on God's judgment of his heart and his mind. And by the way, I think it does us well sometimes. In fact, I think it would do us well all the time to come to the Lord and say, Lord, I want you to judge whether I'm where I should be or not. However, when we do that, it is a very difficult thing to do because He will show it to us. Um, and we will, quite possibly, most of the time, not measure up to where we should be. <clears throat> but the psalmist is pleading with Lord, asking the Lord here, for Him to do the judging. And uh, so often, we tend to... Uh, Gauge ourselves, measure ourselves, if you will, by what other men say about us, by what other men think about us. I was uh, watching a series of things this week on uh, some situations where some people had been abused in churches. And uh, one of the common things that they said in their testimonies was that they were in this situation and people would talk with them and they would talk to the person that was involved in it with them and they would talk like they were good people and their comments, several of them I heard them say the same thing it was a common thought between many of them they said nobody really knew who I was and I was was thinking on that this week and I thought that probably goes on far more in our churches than we think that we're not What everybody thinks we are, and that's why I believe that there's such an importance that ought to be placed on the fact that we should let God judge our hearts rather than men. Um, And the the psalmist speaks of that here. He says, "Search me, O God, and know my heart; try me, and know my thoughts." Before we say that prayer, we better make sure that we are ready for the results. It's a very difficult prayer to pray, but one that I believe we, in the day we're living in, need to pray so often. Lord, search me. There may be some things I've made people think about myself, but I want to know what your thoughts are. I need to know how you gauge my heart, how you gauge my thoughts. We're going to look at several passages tonight. We're going to end up in one passage in the book of Philippians. Uh, and deal with a a pretty large chunk from there. I'm going to try to keep things fairly concise, but we are going to have to turn to several passages, so keep your Bibles handy. I'll try to go slow enough to make sure everybody has time to get there and to see these things because they're so crucially important. Let's start, if you will, with Romans chapter number 8. And uh, we're going to be in the New Testament for a little bit here. Romans chapter number 8. Solomon, who was one of the wisest men who ever lived, and of course, if that was not enough, he also wrote things by inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God. So whether he was wise or whether he was the dumbest man who ever lived would really make no difference at all to the truthfulness of this statement because it was given by the Holy Spirit of God. In Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, he said this, "...keep thy heart with all diligence." For out of it are the issues of life. Keep thy heart with all diligence. For out of it are the issues of life. It's been spoken and shared even in Scripture that as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Uh, Out of the abundance of the heart, the Bible says, the mouth speaketh. And uh, there certainly is uh, the possibility of putting on an outward appearance. In fact, uh, there was a group in the Bible that were a perfect example of this. Uh, they were called the Pharisees. You remember what Jesus said of them? Uh, he said, outwardly you're clean, but inwardly you're full of what? Dead men's bones. And uh, it's, not, it's, not the, it's not the outward that we're to judge. It's the inward. Now, I will say this. It is possible to have a right outside Now listen carefully because you'll get twisted up on this if you don't. It is possible to have a right outside and a rotten inside. But it is impossible to have a right inside and a rotten outside. For people to say, well, God knows my heart while they live carnally, I'm sure he does know your heart. But it's not a right heart, because while you can put an outward facade on, and fake what's on the inside, you can never not produce outwardly what's in your heart. And so, make sure we understand this importance of keeping our heart with all diligence. Let's look in Romans chapter eight, if you will. <clears throat> Romans chapter eight, and I'll I, I want to get through the material tonight, but but I don't want to rush so fast that people don't get it. And so, if we only make it halfway, we'll pick up there next Wednesday night and move, move one more Wednesday night out on it. <coughs> Romans chapter 8, we'll begin reading verse number 1. Paul's writing here. He says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Now, some people stop that verse too early. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Now that statement only holds true when it comes to the judgment of God for the payment of my sin. I'm not condemned by God because I now have the righteousness of Christ on me. But the context of this says, Who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. And so he's really kind of seems like he's pointing this verse more towards what men think of us. And the fact that a person who will walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit, will not be able to be condemned outwardly. That their life will match the testimony of their heart. And so we find as he's speaking of this, and this is kind of the the context of the setting of what we're going to look at here in the next six verses or so, seven verses. He says, For the law of the Spirit of life. Now that's the Holy Spirit, capital S. The law of the Holy Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. I'm not bound to to the law of sin and death any longer. I'm under grace now. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, what? For sin, verse number 3, For sin, condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us, "...who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit." The second time now we've seen that statement. "...for they that are after the flesh..." Here's that phrase again. "...do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit." Now you say, well, pastor, I'm either going to follow my flesh or I'm going to follow the Spirit. And that's the battle of the Christian life. How do I walk after the Spirit? Well, take a look at verse number 6. For to be carnally... What's the next word? For to be carnally what? Minded. Romans 8, 6. Are we there? Did I give you the wrong reference? For to be carnally minded is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. Now, there's two minds that are given here that Paul speaks of. There's the carnal mind and the spiritual mind. Now, he's writing here to Christians in Rome. And he's speaking to the Christians, warning them that they don't have a carnal mind, but that they have the spiritual mind. And the way he tells them to be careful of this thing is in verse number five They that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. But they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. What is it that you mind? What is it that you have your mind fixated on? Are we so constantly fixated on the things of this world, on the fleshly desires, on the things that we used to be before we were saved? Or when we got saved and the Holy Spirit moved inside of us, did we allow our minds and our thoughts to move to the things of the Lord? And how much have we done that? Well, you know, Pastor, I've started going to church again, and I've, I've gone... You know, I'm I'm, I'm trying to read my Bible a little bit here and there. Folks, can I mention this, that when the Holy Spirit of God lives inside of us and He gives us all of Himself, it is only right that you and I do the same and give Him all of ourselves. Jump in with both feet. Because to do anything less will cause us to be carnally minded. It's so important, this thing of the mind. And let's look at the importance of it here in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 for a moment. And then we're going to start looking at some benchmarks that the Bible gives us with regards to uh, our thinking, our hearts, uh, what are some things that ought to be the, the tools that we use from Scripture to measure where we are at in our spiritual minds, our spiritual thoughts. 2 Corinthians chapter number 10. Let me get to the right book here. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. And we're going to begin reading in verse number 3. In verse number 3 he says this, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Can I mention this? That the battle of the Christian life is not fought with swords or spears or shields. It is not fought with physical strength (coughs) or stamina. But the battle of the Christian life is fought in the mind. Somebody has said this, that the sin in the mind is the most common sin of a Christian. Because we don't think God sees it. The battle of living a victorious Christian life or living carnally is won or lost in the mind. The Bible sometimes refers to it as the heart. And as we get to verse number 5, I want you to notice this. He says in verse 4, he tells us this, The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, they're not part of the flesh, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations... And every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the what? Obedience of Christ. The importance of the mind. The importance of the heart. Our bodies do not act upon things that they do not first think about. In fact, the Bible says that... that. Um, that when we're tried in the book of James, I'm trying to remember the exact wording of it, uh, that when we're tried, that uh, it bringeth forth uh, the the lust of the flesh. It talks about our lust and our desires. It says it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. And there's a process of evil thinking that produces the sin in our lives. Because the battle is won or lost in the mind. So vitally important. That's why it is crucial that we guard what goes right in here and right in here. And I know a lot of people say, well, it doesn't matter. I can handle those things. No, you can't. It is impossible for us to be exposed to the, the carnality of this world uh, on purpose. And I know that there's sometimes in going about life, you're exposed to things that cannot be helped. But I'm talking about sitting down in front of things and enjoying the carnality of the world. When our hearts are craving those things, we want to see them. We want to hear them. Can I tell you this? You cannot control those things. They will have an effect on you. Why? Because they're dealing with your mind. Notice what he says here. In verse number 5, Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God. If there is something that is contrary to the knowledge of God, if there's something that sets itself up as preeminent above the moral guidelines and laws of God. And it says, doesn't matter what the Bible says, this is so much better. If it does that, Paul says we ought to be casting it down. If it exalts itself above this word, we ought to be casting it down. And he says that every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity, notice this, what's the next word? Bringing into captivity what? Every thought to do obedience of Christ. One of the first marks of a right mind growing and maturing in our life is that we will have a desire to bring our thoughts into captivity so that we can obey Christ. No matter what the flesh desires, we wrestle it down. Paul speaks of this and he he talks about casting down. He's talking about weapons of war in this passage. He's talking about bringing into captivity and capturing the enemy. And bringing them under subjection. Can I tell you this? This isn't just some, uh, some token, this college try of trying to, uh, to control the things that go into my mind. This is something Paul said. It's a war. It's a battle. There's weapons involved. There's captivity involved. There's, there's casting down involved. And it's the thing that Paul wrestled with. When we when our minds begin to mature, when we begin to have a mind of Christ, it it tends to gravitate to and desire to captivate the flesh so that we in turn can be more obedient to Him. We may not always succeed at it, but that will be our desire. That will be what we strive for. That will be what we're diligent about. And as any soldier, we'll train, we'll work, we'll equip, we'll strengthen ourselves. I was... uh, Watching a documentary on, uh, uh, I'm trying to get well known about Dallas Cowboy football history because I couldn't talk legibly about it with someone here the other day. And I was doing some research on some of that and I was watching these men. And, and for a silly game, the, the things they put themselves through physically, uh, the, the, the strenuous uh, uh, workouts, the, the, the diets that they're on. I, 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 could, I think the diets are worse than the workouts. Uh, the, the, the things they have to do to themselves. And they, they give up things and they, they focus on things and they, they don't socialize like they would normally because they're too busy doing things that will help them become better, all for a game. And I think if a football player can can dedicate their life to something like this, why is it that a Christian cannot focus and work and and, and equip themselves with the Word of God that they can handle it well to bring into into captivity every thought that exalts itself against the knowledge of Christ? Why is it that we put so little effort into the victorious Christian life? I think we ought to pray for one another. I think when we're going through a difficult time, we ought to ask brothers and sisters in Christ that we know can pray to pray for us. I have no problem with that. But it bothers me sometimes in my life where I've seen that I have not given my effort to it and I'm asking other people to help me out of a situation by praying for it. Why is it that I didn't just grip my teeth and say, Lord, I want to come to Your Word and I want to labor in it and I want to equip myself in it and I want to make sure that my mind is focused on it. If there's some problem that I'm battling with, I want to, I want to saturate myself with Your Word. I want to know it. I want to be obedient to it. I want to bring those imaginations under captivity. Those thoughts, I want to bring them into captivity. The importance that Paul places on the mind. He doesn't use small words. He doesn't use careless words or callous words. He talks about the fact that it's a warfare. That there are weapons involved. That there's the casting down and the pulling down of strongholds and bringing into captivity. One mark of a maturing mind in the spiritual life and becoming more spiritually minded is the fact that we'll have a desire to bring the carnal thoughts into captivity so that we can be more obedient to Christ. The second one we find is in uh, Romans chapter 12. And I'm not giving you these by order of priority. If anything, probably this one should be at the very top, I would guess. But it certainly is in the list. Romans chapter 12. Just back a few pages. <clears throat> romans chapter 12 and verse number one paul says i beseech you therefore brethren. now i've said this before beseeching is is a a, a an emotional pleading there's it's a crying out it's a it's almost the idea of 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 the begging that would take place when someone would would throw themselves down and grab the ankles and hold on to somebody and say please and the beseeching the emotion behind it the The strength behind that word. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto uh, unto, uh, unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye... What's the next word here? Transformed by what? The renewing. Of your mind. Now what kind of mind should we have? Philippians chapter 2. Let this mind be in you which was also in who? Christ Jesus. The renewing of our mind is something that we're to be trying to become more like Him. Can I tell you this? We're living in a day where there are preachers standing in pulpits. I, I, I hate to name names, but one of them is Joel Osteen. And he teaches people that in order to live a transformed life, you've got to speak about how good you really are. And it will transform your life. You'll go from from poverty to wealth. You'll go from from depression to to cheerfulness. Can I tell you this? Transformation in a a life is not something that, that we do by turning over a new leaf. It's not something we do by the power of positive thinking. It's not something we do by listening to a life coach. The transforming of a person's life happens one way, the Bible teaches. And that is by having our minds renewed to be like Christ, to be like Him. I want to think of things the way He would think of them. If He walked in my shoes today, if He was looking through my eyes, if He was listening through my ears today, and He heard what I heard, and He saw what I saw, and He He thought the thoughts, I want to have the thoughts He would have in the world that we live in today. But we're content, aren't we? We think that transformation is something that we're just going to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. We're just going to make ourselves better. I'm just going to go out and get the latest New York Times bestseller book that tells me how I can be a good person. I am. I am this, and I am that. I, I think Joel Osteen wrote a book that was titled "I Am," and I. I, I think that's. If not titled that, at least the theme of it throughout the book was all that. All the different chapters were, I am blessed, I am beautiful, I am strong. And he teaches people, you ought to recite these things several times a day to yourself. Can I tell you this? I'd rather read the I am of the Bible. Because he's the one I want to be like. He's the one I want to think of. We find there needs to be a renewal of the mind When my mind becomes spiritual instead of carnal. And by the way, it is possible for a Christian to have carnal mind. It is possible. There are three types of people, and I'll just give them to you real quick. I've given them to you before. There's the natural man. That's the man that's not saved. The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God for their foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them because they're spiritually discerned. That's the natural man. He's unsaved. There's the spiritual man. The spiritual man is one who knows the Lord, has trusted the Lord, has had his mind renewed, and is walking in the Spirit. And then you have what's called, and the Bible refers to here in the book of Romans, as the carnal man. The carnal man, or the carnal mind, is the way Paul words it, is one who is saved. He's writing to a child of God, who is not following after the Spirit, whose mind is not being renewed, who is following after the carnality of the flesh. And even though he's been delivered from the law of sin and death, He wants to still follow after it. He wants to still live after it. And Paul beseeches them. He pleads with them earnestly. He even uses the very fact that God has given mercy to us to impose upon our hearts and our minds the fact that we are indebted to Him for this. And if for no other reason than the mercies of God, that ought be reason enough. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Why? That ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Some people say, Pastor, I just I want to live for the Lord, I just can't seem to do it. Then get your mind renewed. Get your mind renewed. You say, how do I do that? Saturate it with Scripture. Quit reading the magazines. Quit spending hours on in on the Internet. Pick up a Bible. Turn on some... (laughs) Be careful about this. Turn on some biblical preaching. Some doctrinally sound preaching. Fill your well to full and overflowing. Fill your mind to full and overflowing. Why? Because I want to have my mind renewed. People say, well, Pastor, isn't that brainwashing? As bad as people's minds are, they need to be washed. That's what old Lester Roloff used to say. I understand what we mean by brainwashing. Folks, I'll tell you this. There's no greater thing that a Christian can do than to have his mind saturated with the Word of God. No greater thing. Why? Because the battle of the mind is the most important battle a Christian fights. The most important. Look at Ephesians chapter 4. Paul addresses it a little further. <coughs> <coughs> Ephesians chapter number 4 verse number 17 Ephesians chapter 4 verse number 17 Paul writes this under inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He says, This I say therefore and testify in the Lord that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the what? In the vanity of their mind. In other words, the things their mind thinks about are are useless, they're worthless, they're vanity. Having their understanding darkened being alienated from the life of god through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work unto uh, work all uncleanness and greediness but ye have not so learned christ we see a battle for the mind taking place here He tells them don't walk the way that the Gentiles walk because the Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind. Their minds are set on things that are carnal, that are fleshly, that are worldly. Their understanding is darkened and they are alienated from God. He says we as God's people should not walk that way. How should we walk? We're supposed to walk as we have learned Christ we're to walk as we have learned Christ now notice in verse number <clears throat> 21 if so be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus that ye put off concerning the former conversation the old man which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts and here it is and be what renewed in the mind. Is that what it says? Renewed in the what? In the spirit of your mind. Can I say this? We should not only live by the letter of God's Word, but also by the Spirit of God's Word. If God explicitly tells us not to do something in Scripture, and then He puts in a phrase, as He does quite often in a list of things, and such like, and we say, well, He didn't list my specific thing, so therefore it must not be wrong. Can I tell you, that's living by the letter of the law, not the Spirit. We understand what God is getting at by the list that He gives us. May God give us a renewed spirit. Of the mind, not just the letter of it. That we can have an understanding. And by the way, you say, Well, Pastor, how will I know? How will I know? This is where we ask the Holy Spirit to give us understanding and illumination into His Word. He'll give us discernment to, by use of exercise, He'll give us the ability to discern between that which is good and that which is evil. And He'll do it by the teaching of His Word. There needs to be a renewal of the spirit of the mind in Christ Jesus. How are we measuring up? If I were to evaluate my mind today, if you were to evaluate your mind today, and by the way, can I say this? It doesn't matter what I think about your mind. And it doesn't matter what you think about my mind because you don't know what those are. But there is one who does, and it does matter what he thinks about it. If I were to look into my heart and my mind today, if you were to look into your heart and your mind today, could we say, my heart has been renewed? It doesn't follow after the things it did before I got saved. It doesn't have that desire to do that anymore. And now I have a desire to bring those thoughts, those desires into captivity. I I want to be obedient to Christ. I want to please Him. Are we renewed in the spirit of our minds? Well, to be willing to bring our thoughts into captivity, that's one of the measurements. Secondly, we need to be renewed in the spirit of our minds. And thirdly, we need to meditate in God's word day and night. Let's take a look in Joshua chapter number one, the Old Testament you got the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Right after that, you have the book of Joshua. Joshua chapter number 1 and verse number 8. This book of the law, and at the time they didn't have the complete revelation of God like you and I have. But what law they did have, this is what Joshua was speaking of here. He says, this book of the law shall not depart out of thy, what? thy mouth. Right? This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth. That means we ought to be speaking about the things of God's Word. When we go through our day and we speak to one another, we ought to be talking about the things of the Lord. It ought to be a natural thing for us to bring this up in conversation. It ought not be something that's awkward. It ought not be something that when we're in a group of people that to start talking about a verse of Scripture or things about the Scriptures, are, are they feel foreign to us today. Can I tell you this? When the Holy Spirit of God who authored this book lives inside of me, it ought to be one of the most natural things to talk about the things of God. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt, what? Meditate therein. How often? Day and night. Day and night. I should meditate therein. Day and night. What does that mean? I'm to think on it. I'm to mull it over. Uh, some preachers have illustrated the word meditate by using the, the symbolism of a cow who chews its cud and they, they have multiple stomachs. And when they eat grass, they chew it and it goes into one stomach and digests it. And then it comes back and they chew it some more and it goes into the next one. And then chew it some more and goes into the next one. And it's only by means of this process that they get all the nourishment they can out of that grass. An old preacher I heard years ago say this, when it comes to knowing and studying God's Word and having a mind that is focused on it and saturated by it, he said, when you come to the pages of it, get all the juice and squeeze out of it. Oftentimes we handle this book casually and carelessly and frivolously. And we come to it and we say, I've got five minutes, Lord. I'll I'll read as much as I can in five minutes. Can I tell you, God doesn't care that you read as much as you can in five minutes. God wants His Word to be engraved upon the heart. God wants us to mull it over, to meditate on it, to think on it. And not just occasionally, not just for five minutes in the morning before we go to work. He wants us to meditate on it day and night. By doing so, he says, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. As we go to Psalm 1, we find a very similar passage that the psalmist wrote. In Psalm 1 and verse number 2, after he says, Blessed is the man who... Who walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. In verse number 2 he says, But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in this law doth he meditate, there's the mind, meditate day and night. In Psalm 119, verse number 9, he says, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. With my whole heart have I sought thee. What does it mean to seek for God? How do I seek for God? Do I wake up tomorrow morning, get dressed, put on my adventure outfit, and tell my son as I go out the door, I'm going to find God today, and I walk out the door and go look for Him? Is that what I mean by searching for God? There's only one place I can find Him. That's in His Word. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to Thy Word. With my whole heart have I sought Thee. Oh, let me not wander from thy commandments. Thy word have I hid in my heart, that I might not sin against God. Can I tell you this? The battle, the greatest battle of the Christian life is the battle of the mind. The importance of it. How do I measure up? Is my mind renewed? Is there a desire for it to be led by the Holy Spirit? Is there a desire there to think like Christ? Is there a desire to bring the carnal thoughts, the fleshly thoughts into captivity, to war against them, to put them as prisoners of war so that I can obey Him? Do I have a desire for my mind To be filled. To meditate on it day and night. To be filled with all the fullness of God. Can I tell you this? When our minds get filled with all the fullness of God, there's very little room in there for anything else. I wasn't going to bring this verse, but let's look at one last verse and I'll finish here. We're not quite halfway through uh, and we'll get there next week. But let's look in Colossians chapter 3 for a moment. Colossians chapter 3, verse number 1, Paul writes this, he says, If ye then be risen with Christ, that's those of us who have trusted Him as our Savior. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek, here's that word again, seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. If my affection is not what it should be, it's because I'm not seeking what I should be. When I seek the things that are above, when my mind is bent on, Lord, I want to know You, and I want to know You in all Your fullness. I want the fullness of Your Holy Spirit to, to, to lead my path every day. I, I want to follow the things of Your Word. And I, as I'm going through my day, Father, I want nothing more than for the Holy Spirit to bring to remembrance truths and principles from Your Word that guide my steps through the day. I want to have the fullness, the fullness Let's go to verse number sixteen, verse number three. I like this one as well, we're gonna we're gonna leave this one. In fact, we're gonna be looking at this chapter I'll be looking at a different verse in it, Lord willing, next week. Let's look in verse number sixteen. Let the word of Christ dwell in you. If that's all it said, that would be enough. But he adds the word richly. Don't just let it dwell in you. Let it dwell in you richly. In all wisdom, I want this book to consume my mind. I want to be passionate about it. I want to love it. And we're sitting here at a brand new year, a place of the year where a lot of people make decisions. I'm going to I'm going to set some goals. <clears throat> with regards to my personal walk with God, my time I spend in this book, my time I spend in prayer. Could we ask the Lord help us help us to be saturated in our minds, to be filled with all the fullness of God. To have this book bursting out of the seams of my heart. And the Bible says out of the abundance that bursting of the seams of the heart what happens the mouth speaketh you know it would be a wonderful thing if our minds and our hearts would be so consumed with scripture that we could not help but talk about him I've shared with you the story of my friend brother Wayne Corfman who uh, by the way is in such poor health now and he his son had to come and get him and move him back up to Ohio, and he's no longer able to work in that ministry down there as a few a few weeks ago. And wish you'd be praying for him. He's a dear dear friend of mine, and I hate to see him in poor health. But God has given him a rich life and allowed him to labor for Him tirelessly. I wish I could have packed every member in our church up and taken you down to watch his life for a week. How convicting it would be this man of almost 90 years old, working and laboring for the Lord, doing so much to try to get the gospel message to those that needed to hear. I remember when his wife passed away, I went over several weeks later to his apartment to spend some time with him. I wanted to cheer him up and try to encourage him a little bit, and I didn't want him to feel quite so lonely sitting there in the evening without his wife there and We were sitting there talking, and he was talking about how precious families are and how we need to make sure that we take time to polish the jewels that God has given to us by way of our wives and our children. Take time, they're precious. He spent probably 20 minutes, tears streaming down his face, talking about, he called her his Catherine, my Catherine he say, my Catherine did this. And oh, we love doing this and this, my Catherine, my Catherine. And then we began to talk about the Lord Jesus. He spent about another 20 or 30 minutes, tears streaming down his face, talking about his blessed Savior. I'll never forget what he told me. Sitting there in that living room that night, he had a bad stutter every time. He'd get excited or emotional about something. He would, the stutter would get really bad. And he, sitting there that night, he said, Brother Greg, we, we, we're never embarrassed to, to, to talk talk about the ones we love." I'll never forget it. If we could be so full of the fullness of Christ, if our minds and our hearts could be so consumed with Him. There'd be no embarrassment of speaking of him. Of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. The greatest battle you and I fight every single moment of every single day is not something I can go to a gym and strengthen myself for. It's not something I can go to hand to hand combat courses and learn how to defend against. Because it's all right here in my mind and in my heart. The greatest battle you'll ever fight. The greatest war you'll ever fight. It's the battle of the mind. We'll finish next week, if Lord willing, if we're still here and if the rapture happens, we won't finish next week. We'll let the Lord teach it. Alright? But uh, Lord willing, uh, we'll try to be here next Wednesday night and and teach the remainder of this. And uh, pray with us. I've got one more subject to deal with after this one. And I hope these little things have been a help to us, ways to measure, lay our life down alongside of the Scriptures, and ask the question, how do I measure up? How do I measure up? Let's stand together when we'll be dismissed. Father, we're so thankful for Your Word. I pray that You'll help us each and every day to draw closer to You, to